By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source, from heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. He also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Please be opening your Bibles to the book of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52 is where we will be starting our study this evening. Last week we began what's going to be a series of lessons on Bible authority and the nature of authority. And we began by just first of all considering why Bible authority is something that we even need to talk about in the first place. Why is it something that is important for us to understand and appreciate? And we looked at what I suggested were three reasons, and this would not certainly be an exhaustive list, but I think they are three important reasons that would give us a foundation for this study. First, the reason is that God's Word is intended for our good. We need to understand and appreciate that principle that God communicates His will to us, and as such, He does so for the benefit that we can use it and know what to do. Because authority also, secondly, lays the foundation for doing what is right. That's another critical aspect of talking about biblical authority is that we are laying the foundation of what God approves, of what God wants us to do. Again, that's very foundational, I believe, and very important for us to just stop and appreciate. And then another reason is that without Bible authority, then everyone is going to do whatever they feel is right. We noticed in the Old Testament that age-old problem, especially that is seen in the book of Judges, where the people were without a king, they were without leadership, and it led to all sorts of blatant immorality and sin, idolatry, because they did what was right in their own eyes. Without a strict sense of authority, then we don't have anyone to lead and guide, and we just go whichever direction we feel we want to go. And biblical authority, I believe, is absolutely essential for the Lord's church, just as authority is needed for any organization that you could imagine. The government, the United States government, has a constitution that they follow. A business has their own code of conduct that they expect people to, again, adhere to. Civic clubs have bylaws. Sports have rule books that explain in great detail nearly any aspect of the game. And of course, when we identify something about such as Bible authority, when we use that phrase, when we toss that phrase around, we're making an assumption. 
that we're making the assumption that the Bible is our authority. And that's a right assumption, but it is an assumption that this evening I want us to try to prove from the Word of God. We are acknowledging and understanding that the Bible is inspired, that it is God-breathed, that it has come from God. And a passage that I believe is important for us to acknowledge and that we're going to continue to use and to acknowledge and to see throughout our study is found in Isaiah chapter 52. In Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah is uh, it's a song, if you will, that of praise for God and praise for Zion. And he says in verse 7, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Something that I think is absolutely fundamental for us to acknowledge in talking about Bible authority is this idea and the notion that God rules, God reigns, God is the supreme king that we acknowledge. And whenever we are talking about biblical authority, we are talking about His Word. We're talking about the King's law, the King's will. And so we have to be able to acknowledge that the Bible is how God expresses His authority, how God expresses His Word and His will to us. And we touched on some of that last week and we're going to dig a little deeper this evening as well. And so is I want us to be able to acknowledge some of these things and we have to be able to substantiate the claim that the Bible is authoritative and that the Bible is our guide. That's something that we need to substantiate and prove. We just cannot make that claim without being able to prove it. And so tonight we're going to look at that idea that the Bible is where we find God's authority and that what He has expressed to us. By turning to the Gospel of Matthew in our reading that we had this, this evening, in Matthew chapter 21, the religious teachers came and they confronted Jesus. They wanted to trap Him. It says very clearly that in verse 23, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And so they come to Jesus with this acknowledgement that what you do, is you have to have authority for what you do. They did not... To deny that fact, that might be something that would be denied by many people today that you need some kind of authority. But the people, they came to Jesus and they acknowledged and they expected Him to be working through some authority higher than Himself. And so they wanted to trap Him and they were asking Him where He got His authority. And Jesus, I love how He deals with these people. He knew their dishonest hearts. And He says, look, I'll answer your question, but first you have to answer my question. You have to answer what I'm going to pose in the scenario because really, if you will answer that, then you have the answer to the question you're looking for. And that just shows you the brilliance of Jesus whenever He was dealing with these false teachers. 
But they said, in, Jesus says in verse 24, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. He says in verse 25, he poses a very important question for them. He says in verse 25, the baptism of John was from what source or from what authority? From heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. And so they were between a rock and a hard place. They were in a very difficult bind. Jesus, what is interesting though here, is that He only offers two sources of authority by which people act. He boils it down to two. That may seem rather simple, but I think Jesus boils it down to the obvious two. He says, from heaven or from men. Really, anything that we do, we need to always ask that question. Is this from heaven or is this from men? And, of course, these people, they were unwilling to answer the question. It says in verse 27, and answering Jesus, they said, we do not know, which was a big fat lie. We, he also said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus called them on the carpet for their unwillingness to tell the truth. Because they knew that either way, they were in trouble. They were either opposing heaven or they were opposing the people. And they did not like either of those offers. But what is important for us in our study this evening is that Jesus helps us see that for religious activity, there are only one of two sources that you could really appeal to. There's God or heaven, or there's human authority and human tradition. And what we need to acknowledge is that while the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and many of the other Jewish teachers had a problem answering this question, they were ignoring heaven's authority, we need to take a lesson from that in that we do not do what they did. We need to be willing to answer any question, anything that comes up. And... I've had people say, well, we do a lot of things that we don't have authority for. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone make that kind of statement before. And I, and I genuinely mean this. If you believe that we are doing something tonight that we don't have biblical authority for, then we need to stop it right this instant. We need to stop right now. If we don't have biblical authority for it, we need to stop right now and we need to repent and we need to do better. That's how serious of a matter this is. And there are some things that we need to acknowledge about the authority and that many times we get authority not from heaven, but we get authority derived from men. 
from human authority, from human tradition. And that is something that is a very dire but serious temptation for many people is that we want to appeal to all the wrong sources of authority. And that you can see misplaced authority whenever we put more trust and more confidence in those human sources of authority. And some of the things that you might consider with me this evening that we should not be looking to for our source of authority is one of them being the Old Testament, the Old Law. The Old Testament was done away with in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians, the second chapter. In Ephesians chapter 2, and beginning in verse 14, Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, For He Himself, talking about Christ, is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in Himself He might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put it to death, put to death the enmity. He says there, in, particularly in verse 15, that He has abolished in, through the, the cross and the crucifixion, the sacrifice of Jesus, that the act of Jesus going to the cross, that the law of commandments and ordinances were done away. Old Testament practices of the sacrificial system, but not just that, the ordinances and the commandments that were under the old law, they have now been done away. Now there's going to be some similarity in some of the things that Christ and God expect us to do today, but we are no longer bound under the old law, as the book of Colossians would tell us, is that it, that law was nailed to the cross the Sabbath keeping, the animal sacrifices, tithing, all those things have been done away. And so we don't appeal to the Old Testament for our authority. Whenever we might engage into a conversation with someone, maybe about the use of instruments in worship, you probably have had that conversation with someone and they'll say, well, in the Old Testament, David played the harp, right? They'll talk about that. And yes, he did. Or maybe they'll go to some of the Psalms that encourage praising God with instruments or something of that nature. And yes, they did. But the Old Testament is not where we go for our authority and what we do in today in the Lord's church. Those things have been done away. You might also think that we need some kind of special religious teacher to teach us God's Word. And that seems to be some of the policies of the Catholic Church and not trying to just pick on them alone. There's many people that think that you have to have someone specially trained to explain God's Word to us. That there is this distinction between the priesthood and the laity, and that a lay person cannot understand the Bible, and that there is the, the special priesthood that explains the Word of God. But what we have to acknowledge is that authority does not come from any church or any preacher or teacher of God's Word. There is no authority just found in me in particular. 
Authority comes from God and His Word and His Word alone. And so if I speak something that is true, that is right, the authority is not found in Sean Cavender. The authority is found in God's Word. I'm just the messenger. I think that's what Paul is trying to get across in, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 1, whenever Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That, Timothy, you need to preach the Word. That's what matters. It's not about your opinion. It's not about your thoughts. You need to preach what has been revealed in God's Word. Because one thing about if you just appeal to church tradition, tradition changes over time. It might be incremental. It might be slow. There might be certain circumstances that cause some of the changes. But traditions change. They don't have authority in and of themselves. And so we don't need to put our authority in any one particular person or teacher or preacher. I've heard members of the church sadly say, well, I just can't understand this. I need you talking to me. I need you to explain it to me. And maybe there are some difficult passages of Scripture. I've certainly been there myself where I need some help. I need plenty of it, trust me. But there's always those kinds of passages that are difficult. But something about God's Word and the way that it was written, it was written for us with the expectation that we should be able to read it and understand it. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3, in Ephesians, the third chapter, Paul, he's talking about the revelation of Scripture that he has been given by the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation... There was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. So Paul's saying, I have been given this revelation, I have been given this understanding, and I am now writing it down. He says in verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The beautiful thing about the Word of God is that whenever you take it, whenever you open up your Bible and you read it, you can understand it. God's Word was written for you to be able to understand. It doesn't take a special class of, of priest or anyone else to be able to explain it to you. And you need to be leery of anyone that says that you cannot understand the Bible unless you listen to them. You need to be careful when you hear someone like that. It's a misplaced source of authority. Elders in the local congregation, they do not mat legislate matters of faith. They are not the final and ultimate judge, as Peter makes very clear in 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and in verse 1, he talks about the oversight of elders and how that is very needed and very important work that they are to 
shepherd the flock. They need to be feeding the flock. They need to be making sure the flock is fed and that they are helping in that they are involved in that. They have oversight of that work. Very important. But then he also acknowledges in verse 3 that they are not to be lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And then notice in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders in the local church are not the final source of authority. I've known elders in the local church, none here, thankfully, but I've known elders in the local church that have been wrong about certain things. They've been wrong about matters of doctrine and about matters of teaching that are extremely important that could eventually cause people to be lost. We need to be careful about that. Well, they are not the final and ultimate source of authority. In fact, they are to be in submission to the chief shepherd, is what Peter says. That while they may be shepherds, there's the chief shepherd that they ultimately answer to. Denominational creeds and the teachings of men, something that Paul says is another misplaced source of authority in the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 20, Colossians the second chapter, verse 20, he says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? Commandments and the teachings of men. Many people think they are able to explain God's Word, uphold doctrinal truths found in the Scriptures, and that there's the need to categorize them in some way. That there is the need to put them in some kind of creed book. And many of those denominational creeds contain teachings and practices and thoughts and opinions of men. They might contain some truth, and I think that is why they can be so deceptive. Truth mixed in with falsehoods makes that, that falsehood a lot more appetizing and appealing. And since they might contain some grain or nugget of truth, then what about the Bible? If they contain truth from the Bible, then it seems that the creed would be unnecessary. If they add teachings of men that are not found in the Bible or that contradict the Bible, then the creeds are an abomination. Jesus, as He was dealing with the Pharisees in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 15, in Matthew chapter 15, he calls out the, the Pharisees as being hypocrites and they do not honor God with their heart. And they say all the right things, but their heart is far from God. And in verse 9, Jesus says, But in vain do they worship Me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. 
And what is important to note about the Pharisees and the religious teachers in Jesus' day is that what they were doing in the traditions, it wasn't just that the tradition in and of itself was wrong. What Jesus makes very clear is that the tradition itself violated God's Word. That the tradition did not help them. The tradition was not an aid to help them accomplish what God's Word said. The tradition was actually in opposition to the law. Jesus says that very clearly in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 15. As He's talking about the notion of honoring your father and mother and the requirement of the law, He says in verse 6, And by this you invalidated the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. That your tradition is in opposition to the Word of God. And you actually undo what God's Word says. I think that should illustrate to us the vanity of human creeds. And if we have a creed that says what this book says, that creed is unnecessary. If that creed goes against what this book says, then I know which book I'm picking. I'm picking this one. Denominational creeds and teachings of men are not the source of authority. Then finally, another misplaced source of authority is just what the congregation desires. A majority rules kind of approach. I think you don't have to look much further than 1 Samuel chapter 8 when the people of Israel, whenever they were getting fed up with Samuel's sons as their judges because of their their wickedness, which I think if I had lived in that day and age, I would have probably been right there with them. I would have been fed up with it too. That You mean you're telling me I had to listen to what these guys say? They're a bunch of immoral people. I, I would have had some of the same concerns, I hope. And then they cried out to Samuel, Samuel, give us a king so that we can be like the other nations. And you'll remember in that story, and perhaps what is one of the saddest predicaments about that whole situation, is that God told Samuel, Samuel, you give them the king. You give them what they're asking for. Because they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. They were rejecting God's authority. And many times, not all the time, but many times, whenever we sort of think of the church operating as a democratic society or just a majority rules that we're going to do whatever pleases the most, then we are at risk of losing sight of God's authority. That's something that's very dangerous. These are all inappropriate sources to appeal to. Because the Bible is our authority. I think something else that people might be disillusioned by is that they think, they look at the 
the work that they do. They look at the end result. Well, we're doing a lot of good things. Look at what we're capable of doing. It, it Maybe we're not following the, the Bible in a very uh, you know, strict way. I've heard people say that the Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive. Maybe you've heard something along those lines. And what they usually mean by that is that the Bible is very open for your interpretation, that you can uh, do whatever you really want to. It's not prescribing the exact and the precise way for you to do something. I would like for those people that would say that to talk to Nadab and Abihu. Because in the book of Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, they were the priests, they took their fire pans, and it says in verse 1, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire. I love how the ESV, the English Standard Version, says that it says unauthorized fire there. And they offered strange or unauthorized fire before the Lord, which He had not commanded them. You might look at that and you could say, well, the, the end justifies the means, right? Because... They got the fire lit. They, they were able to, to perform the sacrifice and their duty. But if we just look at the results and not how we actually get there, then we are at risk of missing something. Adab and Abihu offered fire before God. They achieved the intended result, but they did so by inappropriate means. And you know that fire came out, verse 2, from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. There's something about when we approach God, we have to be careful. We have to respect God and His authority. We have to respect God and His position. That He is the Creator, we are the cre creature. And when we approach God, we are approaching the God of the universe. It's like that, that live electric wire that you need to stop and just respect and appreciate. But you don't need to go beyond what He says. We need to do what God says in the way that He tells us to. It's a very important lesson for us to learn. And so, what is heavenly authority going to look like? Those are some of the misplaced things of authority, but what does God's authority look like? Well, God's authority is understood, it is implied, and it is accepted since He is the sovereign ruler of all creation. I love the description of God in Christ Jesus in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and in verse 15, that talking about Jesus and, and, and God, and He will bring about at the proper time He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, who no man has seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. 
Amen. What a wonderful description of our God and His power and His authority that He is the King. Our God reigns, as Isaiah said. God's authority, God Himself, becomes the basis of all authority. That's why Jesus was able to claim that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 16, in Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 23, there's this idea that you can see sometimes in the Gospel of Matthew that there are two ways to go. There's either the way of God or there's the way of man. And as uh, Jesus had been talking to the apostles about His impending death, and Peter says, oh no, 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 Jesus, you're not going to die. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Which are we going to choose? Are we going to choose the way of God, or are we going to choose the way of man? We need to choose the way of God. That's the way of heaven. Because God has revealed His mind and His will through His Spirit, a passage I believe we looked at last week in Second Peter chapter one, in Second Peter chapter one and in verse twenty, as Peter was acknowledging the power of the written word and the scripture and the prophecies of scripture, Peter says, "But know this first of all that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit." spoke from God. He spoke from God. You look throughout the prophets in the Old Testament. You can look at the major prophets or the minor prophets and usually in all of them there is a designation of some sort when they are introducing a teaching. They will say, Thus says the Lord. And that is such a powerful statement that they were not claiming to have authority from their own. They were claiming to have authority from God. Thus says the Lord. They were speaking the word of the Lord. They spoke the words that God had given them. And as Peter points out, the Old Testament prophets were speaking of things that were not yet fulfilled. Something more was to come. During the times that the New Testament was written, the apostles were revealing God's Word. As we noted in Ephesians chapter 3, that Paul was made known the revelation that the mystery was revealed. The thing that had been hidden and unknown, now it has been revealed. And Paul says in verse 4, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ 
one of the greatest benefits of being able to open up the Bible and to read it is that it gives us insight. It gives us enlightenment. Not in, a, in some sort of transcendental kind of way, but in a way that God gives us the information that we need from heaven. Paul would say to the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, for this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The words and the teachings that are found in the Scripture, along with the teachings of Jesus and God, they have been preserved for us in the Bible. That is ultimately why we say we need biblical authority. Because the Scriptures contain the words of God. God's will has been revealed and we find His words and what He wants in the Scriptures. In the Bible. And to find heavenly authority means that we must turn to the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures are capable of changing and transforming us. Molding us in what, into what we ought to be. And we must have scriptural authority for everything that we do. Jesus promised His apostles that they would be guided into all truth. In John, the 14th chapter, in John chapter 14 and in verse 26, Jesus says and promises the apostles, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Inspired writers of the New Testament, they were being guided into all truth that was going to be revealed to them by God. And the inspired Word of God was completed. It was once and finally delivered. As Jude makes abundantly clear in the book of Jude and in verse 3, Jude makes this statement about how he wishes that he could have written about things of salvation. But he says, I appeal to you that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. By the end of the first century, God's Word had been once and for all delivered. The book of Proverbs. Proverbs have many insightful and wise things for us to think about. And in Proverbs chapter 30, in Proverbs 30, and in verse 5, it says, Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words or He will reprove you 
and you will be proved a liar. There's a very strong warning there for us, isn't there? Probably heard many of people reference the passage in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, not to add to or take away from the words of this prophecy. For God would add to the plagues that were found in that book. This is echoing the same sentiment that every word of God is tested, it's confirmed, it's true, and we have no business adding to it. God has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Hebrew writer makes very clear that God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. That God, He has spoken to us through Jesus His Son. And Jesus, He has commissioned His apostles. He promised His apostles that they would be guided and led into all truth through the Holy Spirit and that they would then build and lay the foundation of the church. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, He's talking about the church having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. And again in chapter 3 and verse 5 of a passage that we've been referencing somewhat this evening, a few times he says, "...which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit." That the apostles had an important role in revealing God's Word to us. God's words are not to be removed. They're not to be changed because they have come from God, they have come from Jesus, and they have come from the Holy Spirit, and they have come from the apostles. That's the chain that we see. As we referenced a moment ago in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, the warning of adding to or taking away from God's Word is very dangerous. And ultimately, God will take away our part from the tree of life if we do not treat His Word with honor and with reverence. Heaven's authority. God's authority. Bible authority. They're all the same thing. Heavenly authority is the authority that we must be concerned with. Heaven's authority, God's authority, it's found in the Scriptures. We have impressed, I think, a very important point tonight that many times people take for granted. But it's an important foundational principle. And if we're going to do anything in matters of the church, matters of religion, 
And we have to have the right authority. We have to talk about Bible authority. If we're going to be a living, healthy, sound, and thriving church. As I made mention earlier, I've heard people say before in times past that, well, we do a lot of things which we have no authority for. And if we are, then I stand by what I said. We need to quit. Because Bible authority is that important. But before we really understand how we can apply Bible authority, we have to understand that the Bible is where we turn to, to go for authority. There is no other place by which we can go to for our authority in religious beliefs and religious practices. That place and that source is heaven's book, the Bible. The authority of God is demonstrated by revealing His will to us and offering us the hope of eternal life. You can have eternal life if you believe in God and if you believe in Jesus. Peter, when he was with the Lord, he was given an opportunity to turn away from following Jesus. Many people had left Jesus. But Peter, being a very astute disciple, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I would say the same thing. Where could we go? The words of eternal life are found in Christ Jesus. Those things have been revealed to us in the Word of God, in the Scriptures. We need to be willing to go to the Bible if we're going to find those words, find God's authority. Our God is our King. He is our Lord and He is our Savior. This evening, if you need to come to Christ, have the forgiveness of your sins, we're here to help you. If you need to come in faith, believing in Him, repenting and being baptized in water, we can gladly assist you in that decision. Maybe it is that you have made that commitment to following Jesus, but you've not been faithfully serving Him and following Him, and you've allowed temptation and sin to take hold of your life once again, and that you need God's mercy and His forgiveness and His grace. God's willing to forgive you if you would but come to Him. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?